This is the Oanda Podcast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, looking at all the big business and market stories of the week. And today it is Jeff Halley in Singapore. Good morning from London, Jeff. Good afternoon from Singapore. Let's start with some good news for a change, shall we? It looks as though the ever-given container ship has been refloated, according to the latest news, and partially freed, at least, in the Suez Canal. And if that is the case, that is a very good bit of news. Yes, indeed it is. Uh, They're looking at moving the ship this afternoon, starting its engines and moving it up to a lake that is in the centre of the Suez Canal, where it splits into its north-south divide. And the Egyptians have actually said they're expecting to be able to allow shipping to start transiting the canal as of today. So, uh, yeah, very positive news there. I think it'll lift, uh, it's paid its part in lifting stock markets around uh, Asia uh, slightly this morning. The most notable uh, effect we've seen, though, is in oil markets. So oil was under pressure all last week. And part of the reason it didn't resolve lower was because of this uh, blockage in the Suez Canal. We've seen both WTI and Brent crude fall by 2% in Asian trading. And I expect oil will probably remain under pressure until the OPEC Plus meeting on Thursday. There are hundreds of ships in this uh, traffic jam created by the ship. How long do you think it'll take? <laughs> uh, perhaps I'm asking the wrong person this question, but give me a rough idea of how long they think it'll take to get back to normal. From my uh, understanding, it's going to take at least a week, probably more, to, to clear the uh, to clear the roadblocks. But I think the good thing here is that uh, normal service will resume through the Suez Canal sooner rather than later, and we're not going to be faced with uh, thousands of ships having to take the long route around uh, Cape Horn in South Africa and through the Atlantic, uh, which would have been actually inflationary as well because the actual costs to do that are exponentially higher than going through the Suez Canal. So um, I, I think these just-in-time supply chains is an issue that the world's going to have to get to grips with in, in, in the future. But for now, I would expect that um, those log jams would be cleared reasonably quickly. Yeah, the worry was, of course, that they were going to have to start taking those containers off the ship, which would involve a huge amount of new gear arriving at the Suez Canal. And that at least is not going to happen. Well, it looks like it's not going to happen. and Because uh, then we could have really had a crisis on our hands because that would have delayed it by several weeks. Oh, I think it would have been more than weeks. We would have been looking at months then because 20,000 containers on that ship and the ship is 15 storeys high and it's in the middle of the desert. So if you can work out, you'd need to get the cranes, the, spe- the cranes that can lift those containers and that would be a slow process because it's not a container port. Uh, plus, you know, you've got 19, 20,000 containers to take off to lighten the ship, uh, which still weighs over 200,000 tonnes. So uh, we would have been looking at uh, you know, a very long and extended uh, shutdown of the Suez Canal in, in that scenario. So the world has dodged a supply chain bullet here big time. <laughs> it has indeed. And as you said, that's had an effect on the oil price, which is down a bit. More generally speaking, um, you've already alluded to it, Asian and Pacific markets this morning, the start of the week? Yeah, look, Wall Street finished quite strong on, on Friday. And although uh, stock markets or, or the futures on the indexes, the major indexes fell in Asia today, uh, Asia itself pretty much ignored that with the exception of Australia. 
and uh, finish the day in the green. Uh, there are a few stories uh, within that major story. Uh, some of the banking stocks, particularly Nomura, has suffered terribly today in Japan. Uh, and uh, I think the Suez Canal thing has been weighing on the Kospi in South Korea because obviously it's very uh, export dependent on uh, European markets, etc. But that's lifted towards the end of the day as well. Uh, but Chinese shares, for example, and also regional ASEAN markets have all performed quite strongly today. What hasn't performed particularly strongly are the shares in the Chinese video platform Billy Billy slumping at their launch on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Yeah, it's not the first one to have had this happen to it in uh, recent weeks. And I, I think we may have seen uh, peak IPO frenzy. So I do believe a lot of the uh, price action that we had seen previously was speculative mania and uh, retail investors and even institutional investors, if you like, looking to pick up stock uh, pre-IPO to stag it, i.e. sell it out at a huge um, easy money profit on, on the first or second day after the official launch. So that has definitely died down now. And I think a lot of that comes back to the Chinese government's crackdown on big tech, which has since spread to Tencent now, away from just Alibaba and its uh, subsidiary Ant Financial. And this is part of a greater story of the, of, uh, of the Chinese authorities reigning in the powers uh, of, of big tech in, uh, in in China and that having a potentially major effect on their future growth. And so I, I believe it's just quite unfortunate timing by Billy Billy that it's uh, come to the market. If it had come to the market two or three months ago, it probably would have experienced the same amounts of euphoria as some other uh, tech stocks that had launched around the same time. Right, Jeff, it's a big day for us here in the UK with the introduction of the rule of six, which means groups of up to six people can now mix outside. In a fortnight's time, non-essential retail opens. And according to the Financial Times this morning, the latest UK economic data has been significantly better than economists expected, suggesting households and companies have been much more resilient to the latest lockdown. And it says that Britain will climb international economic performance league tables in the months ahead. So things are going well for Great Britain PLC at the moment. Is that how you see it? Definitely. And I think we can see a definite trend here. The United States has also raced ahead with its vaccination program. Its economy is opening, reopening rapidly as well. And we're seeing that coming through in the data there. The success so far of uh, Britain getting needles in the arms of people has been well documented and I believe that we're getting a, a peace dividend, if you like, from that as well. That puts obviously the uh, UK well ahead of the situation in Europe. But I think also what it shows is another underlying trend. The UK has had a number of lockdowns over the last year and businesses and consumers are adapting to that situation. So I believe that what we're seeing here is uh, the impact of this last round of lockdown, if you like, being perhaps a bit less than previous ones, simply because businesses are learning how to work in this uh, no office lockdown economy and uh, workers and also consumers uh, are also adapting to that new normal as well, which is uh, also um, um, uh, been positive for the UK data as well. And I, I think this has perhaps caught quite a few forecasters, including myself out. And what's interesting also is that I was reading a report uh, earlier today 
big increase in the number of SMEs created in the last uh, 12 months. And as you said, businesses are adapting, innovating. This is one of the good things about capitalism, isn't it? Uh, people who maybe have lost a job, they're on furlough, they've thought about an idea for a new business and they've actually gone for it. And I think we're seeing that very much in the UK and uh, that augurs well for the future. Yeah, I, I think part of the post-Brexit new order, and I've always felt this, was that Britain would get its entrepreneurial mojo back. This would be one of the things that nobody had really accounted for, this underlying uh, entrepreneurism and creativity within the British economy, the adaptability. And people have to hustle in, in, in recessions like this. And I, I believe, as you said, when people lose their jobs or they're stuck at home and they've had ideas running around. And with the internet now and technology, it's easier to launch a business and to reach a very large customer base potentially. And I think this is a trend that we're seeing. And I think it augurs well for the future if we're seeing large amounts of successful SMEs, not all of them will succeed. That's also the other part of capitalism as well, that creative destruction. But if a lot of them still are afloat in a year's time, I think that's a wonderful thing for the British economy as well. And I do believe this is also another reason why perhaps the UK data is outperforming at the moment. And you mentioned the digital side of it, of course. If this had happened 20 or 30 years ago, we'd be in a completely different situation on many, many different levels. That work would have been almost impossible uh, for some. But bearing in mind, as we've said, the innovation and the startups that have come out of this situation, because it's mainly in the digital space, we fast-track that by maybe 5, 10, even 15 years so that businesses that may not have existed have actually come to the fore much earlier than expected. Yeah, and, and if you've got an idea, it's never been easier to actually run with that idea now because with digital technologies, you can reach a global audience. You know, 20 or 30 years ago, you would have been limited to your local area or perhaps nationally, and you'd have to advertise in newspapers or or, or such like or such like. But now with these also integrated supply chains, you can get someone building something for you, a product in another part of the world and have it shipped uh, because of modern logistics to customers anywhere in the world. It's a trend actually we've seen in, in countries such as Indonesia as well, where the digital economy exploded about three or four years ago. And the amount of commerce that you see in a country like Indonesia, 300 million people, and it takes uh, six hours to fly from one end to the other, 18,000 islands. People are selling and buying goods and services via social media and your WhatsApps and everything from right across that country. So I believe if they can do it in Indonesia, then an entrepreneurial country, which Britain is at its heart, uh, can certainly do the same. And I expect it to outperform. I'm expecting British uh, asset markets to outperform European ones by quite some distance this year. OK, let's look ahead to the week. We've got non-farm payroll on Friday, which we'll talk about shortly. What else stands out for you? It's a pretty chunky week because we're at the end of the month and the quarter, but also it's the start of the new month, the new quarter. So we've got a lot of data out. We've got PMIs, Purchasing Manager Indexes uh, due out in, in Asia, particularly China, uh, today, oh, sorry, tomorrow and the next day. And the data released over the weekend, the industrial profits points to that PMI data being quite strong. I think the trend we'll see in Asia is that the export facing side of the economies is still um, expanding and doing very well, but domestic demand remains muted. 
and that's to a certain extent the sort of trend that we've seen in, in many other parts of the world as well. We have pan Europe and US uh, US uh, PMI data out midweek, uh, ADP employment, which is a good uh, forward indicator for the the non-farm payrolls, which will be the, uh, the the main data point this week on Friday. That could be quite interesting because the rest of the world will be on holiday and it could be a low liquidity situation. So. If that number surprises up or down, we could see some quite big moves in asset markets. And we shouldn't forget also that President Biden unveils uh, his uh, Build Back Better program on Wednesday in Pittsburgh as well. So we'll have more details of this uh, $3 trillion infrastructure package, and that could potentially move markets as well, particularly bond markets. And as we've seen in the Financial Times this morning about the UK and the latest economic data there significantly better than economists expected. Uh, what about those employment figures on Friday? Uh, analysts will be looking at those closely to see whether they're ahead of expectations as well. Yeah, we had uh, around 600,000 last month, uh, which is definitely pointing towards a recovering US economy. I think uh, the, the, well, the, the, the predominant forecast at the moment is around plus 650,000 jobs. The non-farm payrolls tends to be quite dynamic in the week leading up to it. And depending on other data points, those uh, forecasts will be reassessed. I wouldn't put it past me at all. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if we saw a number that was north of 700,000 jobs. That, I expect, will lead to another uh, move higher in US yields and more dollar strength into the end of the week. Okay. Jeff Halley in Singapore. Thanks for joining us this morning. Always a pleasure. Thank you. This is the Oanda Podcast.